TV comics, movie stars, hit singles and some toys. It's trivia and dirty jokes, an evening with the boys. Once is never good enough for something so fantastic. So here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Colossal classic. Gottfried, and I'm here with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. We're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is an accomplished director of film and television, and one of the most versatile and recognizable actors of the last six decades. You've seen him on TV shows like Mad About You, Titus, Ray Donovan, Saturday Night Live, Children's Hospital, the Buck Henry created series Quark, and the situation comedy He and She, co-starring his longtime spouse, Paul Apprentice. His film work includes memorable roles in Catch-22, Goodbye Columbus, Westworld, The Last of Sheila, Diary of a Mad Housewife, The Sunshine Boys, House Calls, Love at First Bite, The Last Married Couple in America, and Disconstructing Harry. Or Deconstructing Harry. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Disconstructing He's been celebrated for his work behind the camera directing popular features such as Racing with the Moon, City Heat, Mermaids, Little Nikita, The Money Pit, and a film we've discussed at length on this very podcast, My Favorite Year. In a long and prolific career, he's worked with and alongside George Burns, Sidney Poitier, Mike Nichols, Walter Matthau, Peter O'Toole, Mel Brooks, Sean Penn, Woody Allen, Clint Eastwood, Neil Simon, Steven Spielberg, Shirley MacLaine, and Tom Hanks, to just name a few. And if that wasn't impressive enough, he also joins a select group of our guests to have met the legendary Buster Keaton. Please welcome to the podcast one of our favorite actors and a man who once turned me down for a part in the film My Stepmother is an Alien, (laughs) the multi-talented Richard Benjamin. Thank you, Gilbert. When did that happen? When did I turn you down? Yes, I actually went out and auditioned. I think I flew to L.A., what was and, the matter well, with me? Yeah. I, <laughs> what was I, the part? What was wrong with me? Were you the Why stepmother or the alien? Which uh, one yeah. were you? Yeah. I, I think I was one of those parts, like the best friend of somebody. Uh, Probably Dan well, Aykroyd's best friend. Yeah. 
Well, I apologize for that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I accept that. <laughs> although it's not going to although it's not going to change anything. Yeah. <laughs> but just just so I can throw this in, I did see a review of my stepmother as an alien which said not as terrible as most people say it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> those are always I love those. <laughs> Uh, those are, those are my favorite kind because there's nothing in there that you can hold on to. <laughs> if I go to Paula and say, "Look, there's a positive," re- well, it's not quite positive. Richard, we were talking before we turned the mics on, and you are a New Yorker like us. You're from you're from the Upper West Side. I am. We're, we're coming to you from West Forty Fifth Street right now, and you. We, oh, you, great! You were telling us you went way back with one of our recent guests, Tony Roberts. Tony Roberts, yeah, we've been friends for a long time. We met at school at Northwestern, and I went to the High School of Performing Arts right near you on 46th Street. It's now combined with another another school, but it, it was pretty amazing. You did indeed. You, and you, yeah. Your parents weren't in the business, but you had an, you know, Gilbert finds this interesting, and I did too. We, we <laughs> both realized you had an uncle in vaudeville. Well, I had an uncle in vaudeville named Joe Browning, and when I was working with George Burns in The Sunshine Boys, he would ask me to go to lunch every single day and at MGM and he would uh, we would walk between these two giant sound stages and he would always say, kid, you want to have lunch with me? And, you know, this was like a dream come true. George Burns is saying, hey, kid, you want to have lunch with me? And we'd walk along those stages and he'd tell me this joke that he told me every single day, it's the same <laughs> joke every day for three months. And I laughed every single time. He ordered the same thing from the same waitress every single day. And it looked to me like this waitress had been there since silent movies. And <laughs> she, she said, oh, hello, Mr. Burns. Hello, Helen, how are you? Fine. I would like some soup. Yes, Mr. Burns. And I would like it to be hot. Yes, Mr. Burns. Do you know how hot I would like it? No, Mr. Burns. I would like it so hot that you can't carry it. That was, <laughs> and and I laughed every single day for for three months because it was because it was him. But he, uh, I said, do you know my uncle? He said, why? He, I said, he was in vaudeville. He said, what was his name? And I said, Joe Browning. He said, well, he said your uncle was a headliner, and Gracie and I were on the bill with him, and uh, he was a headliner, and we were down on the bill. And he said, um, I know his act. I said, you know his act? He said, yeah, you want to hear it? And he did my uncle's act sitting there in the commissary at MGM. That's great. And then later, uh, when I, well, later I found a recording in Argentina of my uncle doing his act Somebody, in fact, uh, it was my son-in-law said, well, have you ever looked him up? And I said, no. He said, well, why don't you, you know, there's an internet now. And I said, oh yeah. So I punched his name in and there was a recording in an archive in Argentina of my uncle and I got it and got it transferred because it was on a, like an old 78 or something. And I got it transferred and uh, out at a place in Culver City and my wife and I, in the parking lot, put this thing into the you know CD player of the car, and sitting there in that parking lot, I'm hearing my uncle's act, and about two miles away, it was the act that George Burns 
wow. did for me at MGM. It's just, you know, it's just completely amazing. That is cool. And and another actor, uh, another great star from the Sunshine Boys. What do you remember about Walter Matthau? Oh, Walter. <laughs> Walter, well, for one thing, he was a godfather of our uh, daughter. Walter, besides being a great actor, Walter was the most wonderful man, the most lovely person you could possibly uh, be with. And uh, I learned a great deal from him, not only about, you know, acting and stuff, but how to be a person. Uh, And he, Charlie is his son. And before we had kids, I saw how Walter and Carol were with their son, Charlie. They just loved him so much that he couldn't stand it anymore. And I said to Paula, that's the way we're going to be. We're going to be like that. And that is what we did. Oh, and you decided uh, to become parents because you were inspired by. Well, <laughs> it wasn't the only thing. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but it was yeah. part of the, the It thinking. was part of it. And seeing what unconditional love does to a kid, you know, and we decided, well, we'll just have to be, be that way. Yeah. A great, a great, great man. Gilbert does a pretty fair Walter Matthau impression. Yeah. You want to give a little Walter Matthau for Richard? It's not the Belasco Theater. It's the Marasco Theater. <laughs> Just say knock, knock, knock. <laughs> Great. You, really you also good. have to, as long as we're talking about Matthau, you should really tell that that story is wonderful about you and, and Walter doing house calls and you asking him if he was going to do any prep for his character. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we're doctors. Um and I said, well, we, we have to, we have to, you know, we're, we're operating on people. We're surgeons. And he said, yeah. So I said, we have to see an operation. He said, what for? So he I said, because we have to know how to handle the scalpel. We have to know what it looks like, you know, when real doctors are operating. He said, let me, let me ask you something. Do you think that people, I'm Walter Matthau, you know, do you think that people are going to think I became a doctor to be in this movie? I said, I don't know, but I'm telling you that we have to go see an operation. Well, he had a good friend, uh, a heart surgeon, and uh, he said, all right, we're going to go out there uh, and watch an operation. Is that what you want to do? I said, yeah. So we go out to this place which is not far actually from Hollywood Park, which I later found out, which is why he knew so well where this was. And we get there and they're saying, okay, you people have to suit up and, you know, and, and get, you know, you, you know, all the sterilized thing. And he said, I'm not doing this. I said, what? <laughs> I said, no, nah, I'm not doing it. He said, yeah, I don't think you should do it either. I said, come on, we have to do this. He said, no, nah, you go in there. Uh, I got to make a phone call. Um, and what I hear him as he's, I'm suiting up and he's making a phone call and it's something about an exactor in the third race. And it's something about, uh, the fourth race pick this one. I said, what's he doing? He's making a bet or something. Anyway, I go inside and, uh, they say, um, have you ever seen an operation before? And I said, no, no, no. And they said, well, you might want to sit down. And I said, no, 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 no. I have to observe this. I have to see what this is like. Uh, So I'm standing over this person and Dr. 
makes a an incision straight down the guy's chest, almost to his navel. Now, the next thing that I remember is I see linoleum. I'm lying <laughs> flat out on the floor. I don't see any of that. I just see the floor. And this nurse comes over to me, and she rolls me over, and she says, so what was this, your first opening? And I said, I, you know, I was confused. I said, well, I've opened on Broadway, and I've, uh, I've opened in some shows. No, no, no. Was this the first time you've seen anything? I said, yeah. I, she said, we told you to sit down. So then she says, well, maybe you better lie here for a few minutes because we do have a patient here that's under anesthesia. We have some work to do, and you probably don't want to see the closing. So afterwards, they take me out in a wheelchair because I can't even stand after what I've seen, and they wheel me out there, and Walter is standing there, and he's still on the phone, and he said, what the hell happened to you? So I... So said, well, I watched part of it. He said, so you didn't learn anything, right? I said, no, I don't think so. And he said, you didn't learn anything, and I made $3,000 on the phone here. <laughs> oh, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and Art Carney was in house calls with you. Art, yes. What was Art, Art Carney was like? I don't, we haven't had too many. <laughs> we've done 170 of these things. I don't think we've had too many people that have worked with Art Carney, if anybody. We were trying uh, to get Joyce Randolph. Yeah, we worked real hard oh, to get yeah. Joyce Randolph uh, to come uh-huh. on. She's here. Well, she's, she's local. But yes, that'd be good. We yeah. have, as yet, have, unconv- uh, have not convinced her. Yeah, lovely guy. Um, you know, it's you know when you know uh, working with these people who you've seen all your life. I mean, our Carney was Newt the waiter on the Maury Amsterdam show. Yep. Uh, golden goose or whatever that was called. It was called silver something one time. It was called the golden something something. I can't remember. Yeah, but one you know, uh, in very early Dumont Television, um, WAVD, and uh, and uh, working with all these people. At first, you know, you're uh, kind of in awe because you've grown up with these people, um, but. Terrific, you know, professional, hardworking guy, but lovely to be around and stuff. There, I've met mostly great people, uh, very few of the other kind. There's a short list, and I won't tell you who's on that list, but <laughs> it's, it's short. But mostly it's people like you were saying, like Matthau and Carney and George Burns and, you know— I've been pretty lucky that way. Well, you're a movie. You were a movie fan. You were a kid who grew up on the Upper West Side, as we were talking yeah. about. You had your two neighborhood theaters. What was one? The 81st Street, uh, RKO 81st Street, and Lowe's 83rd. Right. And there was another theater, the Beacon Theater, which is now the Beacon. You know. Oh, the Beacon Show Theater Play. was a movie theater. It was a movie. Wow, theater. Wow, I didn't know that. Did you know that? Oh Gil? yeah. Oh, that's no. cool stuff. Yeah, it was a movie theater, and I was in there as a little kid all the time. And they had even a little a stage show before the movie. Uh, and I'd be in there all all day long on Saturday. Uh, and there was another one on 77th Street that became, I think, a supermarket or something. But that is, yeah, that's where I grew up. And so later in life, and I'm I'm doing research for this episode. Mm-hmm. I watched The Last of Sheila with my uh-huh. with with my wife, uh, which was great. And I'm 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 saying because of, I'm starting to get a sense of Richard's appreciation of these people. And you're doing these scenes with James Mason, and he must uh-huh. have been one of those pinch me. Kind yeah, of people. He, like, what am I doing here with James Mason? Yeah, you, you bet. And uh, 
we had this big scene at the end of the movie and and James <laughs> James when all the women, uh, Diane Cannon and Raquel Welch and Joan Hackett. Right. Great cast. And we were on this great cast. And we were on this boat. Um, uh, and the interior was a set, but of course the exterior is a real boat. Um, and James, you know, had a very dry sense of humor. And we'd be out at sea. And he said, You know, all the women are on board. Can't you feel it? <laughs> and uh so he said to me do you want to have a cup of tea in the lounge on the uh the boat and i said sure yeah, yeah okay sure, that'd be great i mean i get to sit down with you and we we talk and he's talking to me and you know about a lot of different things and then i said this sounds familiar with this conversation what i said holy crap this is tomorrow's scene. I said, we're rehearsing. He slipped into it and it became a rehearsal. That's cool. Well, it was amazing because unlike most of the time, you know, you're working with an actor and you know, when that actor's mouth stops, you talk, he talks, then you talk. But here it was completely real. And even though I knew all the lines and stuff, I didn't have to think about any of them because we were in this kind of zone of some kind of real thing. And then the next day we did the scene and it was like magical, you know, working with him. So I thought, you know, he is probably certainly one of the greatest movie actors that ever was. Uh, and I mean, you think about Lolita and a whole bunch oh, yeah. of other, no question. Yeah, you know, it's, it's odd, odd man out. Oh man. Yeah, the, list, you know, the list goes on. Yeah, the list goes on. And so that was pretty magic. That was one of the greatest acting experiences I ever had in a movie. It's a terrific. You know that movie, Gilbert, The Last of oh, Sheila? Oh, yeah. Written by Tony Perkins and, and Stephen Sondheim, of all people. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's a great, because Stephen and Tony, who had these, played these games all through New York. I don't know if you know that they had these uh, treasure hunts uh, all through New York um, and uh, scavenger hunt, like, things mm -hmm. uh, and and breaking up everybody in teams and stuff and they use the city as the clues uh and people would be out there in cabs and subways and stuff and you'd pick go um there's a lady holding a torch for you and you think well, oh it's the statue of liberty and you'd zoom out to there That's and fun. there'd be a clue yeah. out there it was all over the city it was amazing so they wanted to create something that you could actually, in The Last of Sheila, you can play the game. You can actually figure it out. And they didn't want to have one of these things, you know, where the guy or the, the, the detective at the end rounds everybody up and says, this is what must have happened because you couldn't have been here. And you could. The answer to The Last of Sheila is in the title. Yeah. It starts immediately, and you can actually play the game uh, along with the people in the movie. i got to tell our listeners to check that movie out if you and, haven't seen it. It's a lot of fun. And what yeah. was Raquel Welch like to work with? Oh, <laughs> I know where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was she like? She was good. You know, she was fine. Uh, uh, we, we, had, uh, we had a bomb scare there, and—, um, and we didn't know it, but we had bodyguards and we had people following us because there was some kind of group that uh, targeted the movie and the people in it and stuff. 
But for a while, we didn't even know that. And so people were following, and I didn't, I thought people, when I, I didn't know anyone was, you know, being security for us. I, I never saw them or anything, but I saw people following Raquel, and I thought, well, that's just, I don't know, of course, sure, why not follow Raquel? That's a good idea. And uh, But later I realized they were, you know, people that were, were concerned about our security and stuff. Wow. And who but she was these, great. She was great. Who were these people who were... Uh... Well, it's interesting. It's interesting. I think uh, it might have been Black September. I'm not... I can't quite remember. You remember that group? No, I don't. You know yeah, Black I September? No, it, that, yeah. that that wasn't the one with Hirsch, was it? No, you're thinking of this this the SLA oh, Patty no. Hirsch. No, no, no. This yeah. this I think it was. But the interesting thing is, we had an is partly Israeli crew, and we thought this was all not fun, but we didn't take it seriously. And they came to us and said, "You have to pay attention to this." You people don't realize how serious this is. The Israelis knew uh, that there was no fooling around with this. Well, you were but in the south of France. Yeah, we were, in, we were shooting in Nice and yeah. uh, Cannes all through there. But everything w- was fine. Terrific fun movie. We'll be back to the show after these important messages. Bum, 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 bum. Gilbert and Frank. And now back to the show. You know, he, Gilbert will appreciate this too. Uh, first, I'm going to let I'm going to put you on the spot and make you do a little James Mason for oh, Richard. Oh yes, <laughs> that <was> good. <laughs> we might as well entertain yes. him while we've got him here. <laughs> Congratulations, my dear. I seem to have made it just in time, haven't I? <laughs> well, there's no need to be so formal. I know most of you on a first-name basis. <laughs> I've made a lot of money for you over the years. Uh, I, 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 Well, I'm here because I need a job. <laughs> I cannot just restrict it to drama. I can do comedy as well. <laughs> That's pretty damn good. <laughs> what do you Mr. think, Norman, Ms., Great, Mr. Norman Maine. That's right. right. There you go. Yes. Yeah. He's a movie yeah. buff. Yeah, great. Excellent. Gosh, it's like he's here. <laughs> but what I was getting to, and this will make Gilbert happy, is that one and of... before I forget... Uh-oh. You can't be Lee, you can't be Lear Fonsworth anymore. Oh, you do yes. the modern day James yes. Mason from, yeah, yes. from Heaven Can Wait. <laughs> Since you were a movie buff, Richard, and 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 spending mm. time in those theaters, one person you got to work with, uh, the first, I think it's the first project, the first project for the screen that you directed, and you'll know where I'm going with this. You did a you did a TV pilot version of uh, Where's Papa? Where, I did, yeah. And, who, did. and Gilbert will love this. Who was in the Ruth Gordon role? Was Elsa Lancaster. Oh, jeez. The He's, Bride of Frankenstein. How about that? So, and it was amazing. Amazing. I mean, when you think about the people, and you mentioned Buster Keaton before. Yeah, we'll ask you know, about the, him too. The people that you run across and worked with and stuff. And she was fabulous. And we, uh, Nor- uh, Marvin Worth produced that. And uh, we made the pilot, and the, the pilot was pretty good. Uh, and he took it to ABC, it was an ABC pilot, and he said uh, they thought it was great, but they're not going to put it on. 
I said, why? And they said, because we think that mother is crazy. And I said, <laughs> really? You think she's crazy because she's trying to kill her son at the beginning of the movie? Is that? And they said, we can't have any crazy mothers on ABC. So I said, well, tell them, tell them she's eccentric. So they said, I told them she's eccentric. They said, we don't care. We don't want any crazy people. <laughs> so it, it didn't. But it, 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 it was good for me because um, I had something to show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was she like? I mean, and again, is that a moment where you're saying, oh, here, I'm a kid who grew up in these movie theaters yeah. and now I'm, I'm directing The Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's out of body kind of thing. You know, it's like little dreams coming true mm -hmm. all the time. Uh, and yet you got to make your day. You're working, you know, sure. and uh, you're, you're, you're directing these people. And you, and it's it's like, it is. You're a little kid growing up in the west side of New York and you're telling Elsa Lanchester and Sidney Poitier and Peter O'Toole and other people what to do, you know? Mm -hmm. So how did that happen? <laughs> how did it happen? And and you work with Woody Allen. Yeah. Tell and, us a little about... Woody, uh, <laughs> well, Paula made What's New Pussycat. Oh, yeah, with, oh, with O'Toole. Yeah. Wow. With O'Toole. Sure. In fact, in fact, it was Paula who suggested O'Toole to me for my favorite year. Um and uh, so she knew Woody, and they're still good for very good friends. And um, so uh, then I got a call. He asked me to be in, you know, deconstructing Harry. And it's so amazing because everybody, he, you only get your scenes. You don't get the whole script. Uh, he you, they he sends you your scenes, and then. You, you nobody supposedly has a but who was in, Judy Davis who I work with and all the other people in that movie we just give each other all of our scenes so we finally put together a script so we knew we knew what it was <laughs> did he know you were, were doing that he didn't care oh he didn't care uh, oh he didn't care he doesn't care about any of that thing and when we start to work oh and, and Julia Louis Dreyfus when we start to work he said you can say those words that I wrote or you can say anything you want. So we all said, you know what? We're going to say just what you wrote, okay? Because that's funny enough as far as we're concerned. <laughs> and he doesn't say very much, but it's a misnomer about him to think that he's aloof at all. He loves to laugh, and you see him laughing off camera, and he's funny on the set. Um, and he, it's, it's a delightful kind of experience. And now with my favorite year, I mean, the premise takes place like the making of the Sid Caesar show. Yeah. But the the Peter O'Toole character, tell us where that originally comes from. That came from, this is so crazy. So Michael Gruskoff has a script that he shows to Mel Brooks uh, about a gunfighter coming to Chicago in 1880 and a cub reporter trying to keep him from a drunken gunfighter and, and a cub reporter has got to keep him sober for some kind of thing in 1880. So, <laughs> so Mel says, I don't want to do that. Let's do this. So it becomes my favorite year. Oh, but he took so, the basic conceit of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, 
And you're absolutely right. There were no real guest stars on your show of shows. There was nobody like that. But Norman Lear, I believe, told Mel that Errol Flynn was on the Martha Ray oh, show. Oh, yes. And he'd been on it quite a few times. Not always, let me say, steady on his feet. <laughs> and um, she said that, um, and Norman told Mel that, uh, it was incredible because just to get him on the set and get him going uh, was was just you know an amazing an amazing bit of work. Plus, he also had the most gorgeous silk shirts he'd ever seen in his life. That kind of you know character. So that's how that character you know got melded into the show of shows because as I say, they they didn't really have guest stars like that. Right. Yeah. And then Norman wrote that script. Yeah. Our pal Norman Steinberg who has been on this and show. And only Norman wrote that script. I don't know if he. He told know, us. Yep. You know, I'm telling you and whatever you see, I won't go into it too much on that screen in those credits. You know, it's, it's one of those uh, hideous things, but I know because I was there that it's only Norman who wrote that script mm -hmm. with some fabulous jokes also from Mel. Oh, it's it's just it's hilarious. And yeah. what was Peter O'Toole like to work with? <laughs> O'Toole uh, was uh, he was like uh, I mean a consummate. It was like a thoroughbred. It was like working with a racehorse that was in in top condition, which he was then, and. Uh, you just had to come up to his game because his game was pretty amazing. I don't ever think I ever made more than three takes with him because it would be like uh, howitzers, you know, shelling ships, or he'd be on one side of one, then bang, he'd hit the thing right in the middle. Uh, and so Mark, Mark Lynn Baker, you know, really, really stayed up with him. And we did one very long scene with a long take I did on the top of this roof when he falls off of the building and you know all that and it's the whole front part of that scene is you know it's really really long it's it's it's, it's like a farce play and after we sh did that and he hadn't said much about Mark in the shooting before that and he came up to me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said I like the lad you've chosen well I mean, that's the way he sp spoke, and I mean that was high, <laughs> right. high praise, high praise for uh, Mark, um, and he was just, at, you know, in, in uh, the top of his game in there. He also took out jokes. He oh, he would did. Take out, yeah, he would take we we Norman after he was cast, after we cast him, uh, we worked on it some more, and we put more jokes in there and everything, and then. When we were going to shoot the first thing we shot, which was in Central Park, um, he came to me. It was, you know, uh, the sun wasn't up yet. And he said, there's, there's funny stuff here, but suppose I told a real story about me. Suppose I told something real, which maybe is about me and maybe isn't. Uh, and I said... Sure. I said, and after that, if, you know, if we're not crazy about that, we'll do the other stuff. He said, yes, absolutely. But, and so he weaved this story about where he came from and everything kind of, 
you know, as a little platelet or something. And afterwards, and I said, then he said, so do you want to do the jokes? And I said, uh, we're just fine. We'll be moving on now. But, but he was so sensitive to the underlying parts of that character that he didn't want to make it just silly or or something. He was very wise about that. Um, so, and in other places, he he found jokes. Interesting. Because um, you don't you don't uh, think of Peter O'Toole as as a comedy guy. You think no, you but think you, of you know, Lion and Winter <laughs> and Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, well, uh, yeah, and when I first had to d- actually direct him, which was that morning in the uh, <laughs> in the park, I'm this is an amazing thing. Here's something amazing. So the we've got about a half hour until the sun's coming up, and I have a rehearsal with them, with he and Mark, and I can hear on headphones, you know, them saying the dialogue because they're far away. And, you know, it's kind of dragging and it's a little slow. And I thought, okay, this is the first shot of of the movie. It's my first directing of a movie. (laughs) And it's my first shot in a movie. Um, And it turns out, as I say to myself, okay, you are now going to direct Peter O'Toole. That's the job here. They've got to be faster and actually funnier. Uh, so I'm starting to walk up this path in Central Park where I grew up practically. And as I'm starting up there, <laughs> I'm seeing, so let's see, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, um, Lord Jim. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, what, the one with... Uh, Catherine Hepburn, uh, Lion and Winter. Lion and Winter. Yeah, yeah. That's who I'm going to be talking to in a minute and telling him what to do. So I get up there and I'm doing this little kind of dance. I said, you know, oh, it's good. It's Everything's good. It's really good. Because you know when a director says that, 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 that it, it, they want something else. So I said, hi. You know, I think if we just, you want it faster and funnier, am I right? So I said, you got it. I said, oh, this is easy. (laughs) Directing is easy. But then, just before we're about to shoot, a a figure comes up over the rocks there where we are by by the the lake there where we were. A huge, imposing man and a giant beard. There's nobody in the park. I mean, it's, it's still night. (laughs) <laughs> and and I look and I said, is that Sterling Hayden? <laughs> I love that. Uh, it's Sterling Hayden at 4.30 a.m. I'm about to start shooting this movie. I said, it's, it's becoming, you know, magical in crazy ways. And he comes up to me and he said, uh... I said, Mr. Hayden. He said, Yes. I said, What are you What are you doing here? So he said, Well, I did this movie, John Brown's Body, and I played John Brown, and I had a long dialogue scene, which I thought I was pretty good at, <laughs> and they called me last night, and they want to loop it. They say there's something not quite right with the sound. They want me to redo it. And I'm taking a walk here to think if I should do that or say no, because I was, I think it's one of the best things I've ever done. Uh, and 
that's why I'm I'm out here thinking it over. You know, this is this is madness. You know, in a <laughs> fabulous kind of way. Had you met him before? Did you? No, <laughs> no. I'm looking. I'm uh, down there is down there is down there is the lion in winter and Lawrence of Arabia. Up here is Jack Ripper from Strange Love, and uh, sure. you, you know what I mean. Yeah. Johnny Guitar. Right, you know sure. what I mean. What. The heck, you know, is going. Who, who, who else is in the park? You know, <laughs> that's great that he was in there uh, in the dark. Yeah, and and then he said to me, "Is that the way you put it? Is that the O'Toole down there?" So I said, "Yes." He said, "I wouldn't mind an introduction." I said, "I'd be happy to." And he said, "Are you directing this?" And I said, "Yes, I am." He said, "Well, you're doing this with a great deal of equanimity." <laughs> <laughs> An interesting man with an interesting life, Sterling Hayes. Yeah. yeah. And, yep. and yep. for those listeners who don't know him, uh, just remember in The Godfather, sure. I've oh, searched Godfather, a million yeah. of these. McCluskey. Captain yeah. McCluskey. Yeah. But yeah. also yeah. Sub- was, uh, was was sought for the role of Quint in Jaws before. Oh, yes. And, and Is that right? Wound up not getting it for, uh, yeah. I don't I don't know the exact reason. Well, he had the, he had the right background for that. Sure, he was, he, right. It was, yeah. And he was a whaler, you know. Right. He, he, yeah, yeah. By the way, that cast in my favorite year, I mean, the, the supporting cast. I mean, the, the great Joe Bologna, <laughs> yep. Selma Diamond. We love, Gilbert Selma. and I love Bill Macy. Oh, Bill. yes. <laughs> Bill's great. We're not married to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the whole, the, everything about that movie is just is golden, Richard. Yeah. You have a lot yeah. to be proud of. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And you and you sought Albert Finney originally. That's that's another funny. They twist. they had offered it to him, and I they said uh, he's up in Sausalito, and here I am. You know, I get to make a, a movie at MGM if he says yes. Um, and I went up there, and he said, T- convince him to do it. And w- there's a very short list of people, and uh, if he doesn't do it, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, we don't know. And I went up there, and and he was on. lived on a houseboat. He was making a movie, Shoot the Moon. Oh sure. Yeah, and he had done two movies before. And you know, actors know actors. And I thought he's not doing this. He's not doing this. I can tell. We have nice lunch together, and then finally, you know, I get around to the question. I said, "So will you do the movie?" And he said, "You know, I really like the script, but." Uh, I have to go back to the stage. I've made three movies here. Uh, I only, they'll pay me a hundred pounds a week on the West end, but I've got to go back to the theater. So I, I said, well, you know, sorry. Uh, And then I called from the airport and I called, uh, I think Mike Gruskoff and I said, he's not going to do it. Um, And uh, I called Paula and Paula said, what about Peter? And um, when I got back down there, uh, uh, I called Michael back before, and I said, would they do it with O'Toole? And he said, well, he's the only other person on the list. Oh, wow. So uh, when I landed back, he said, they will if you can find him. So uh, that was the next deal, to actually find him, which we did. What's weird to me is like, or or just like, uh, it's nice to hear, that Peter O'Toole is totally professional when yeah. he's working. Yeah. Because all you hear about him is like, you know, he's a wild drunk. Well, first of all, he couldn't drink at all. He had had part of his stomach taken out before that movie. And he literally couldn't 
drink anything. Uh, when we got <laughs> when we got to Brooklyn, where we had this sequence when he goes to visit Lainey Kazan, oh, you also know, great. Uh, um, <laughs> Rocky Kar- Karaoke, <laughs> Rocky Karaoke, right? Who was a coroner, by the way. <laughs> Not an actor. He was a coroner in Los Angeles. Uh, and we go out to Brooklyn, and I'm getting all these people and extras and people because they know Alan Swan is is arriving. And uh, so I'm getting them to yell out the window as the car comes, Alan Swan, we love you. Th- apartment 3B loves you and all that. And then I hear on the track, Orange, Orange, Orange from Arabia. And some other people who are not extras and have nothing to do with the movie see Peter O'Toole. So the other people are yelling Alan Swan. They're yelling not uh, Lawrence of Arabia, but Lawrence from, from Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lou Jacoby's great, too. Oh, Lou. I mean, there's boy, just oh, every, every performance, no matter how small. Oh, yeah. Tell yep. us about Lou Jacoby. I always loved him. Great love. You know, again, these people, I mean, they're, they're, you know, Woody says, Alan says, there are funny people and not funny people. And that's all there is to it. There's no discussion about it. There's no talking about it. You know, any of those comedy kind of discussions of what's funny and isn't funny. And, uh, I mean, Gilbert, you, nobody knows that better than you. And, uh, He's just funny. They see things in a funny way. Um, and it's real close to tragedy, but it's not. Um, and Lou, just every, you know, intonation, everything comes at it from that from that place. Uh, and um, just another delightful person to be around and to work with. I mean, it was my first movie, and I kept thinking, is it always going to be like this? You know, <laughs> well, a lot of times it was, but sometimes it wasn't. Yeah. Tonight, I predict we'll get it on the first take. We always get it on the first take. We have to. You do? Sure. This is live television. Live. Live. What does live mean? It means at the exact moment you're cavorting and leaping around that stage over there, 20 million people are seeing it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Mr. Swan, you're white. You mean it all goes into the camera lens and then just spills out into people's houses? Yeah. Why said nobody had the goodness to explain this to me before? It's nothing to worry about, Mr. Swan. Our audiences are great. Audience? What audience? Audience. You knew there was an audience. What did you think those seats were for? I haven't performed in front of an audience for 28 years. <laughs> audience? <laughs> I played a butler. I had one line! I forgot it. But don't worry. This is going to be easy. For you, maybe. Not for me. I'm not an actor. I'm a movie star! It's funny, too, because it's one of those things where you see O'Toole now, and as much as I love Albert Finney and admire him, I can't see anybody yeah. but Peter O'Toole. No, me either, he, yeah. And inhabits the thing. He does, you know, through yeah. and through and through. And Marklin Baker, yeah. also also great. Yeah, and he was the, Mark was the very first person that I saw for that part. 
Uh, Ellen Chenoweth was our casting director, and everybody said as soon as they read the script, and I didn't know who he was, and they said, get Mark Lynn Baker. So he's the first person I saw, and they said, well, cast him. And I said, this is my first movie. I can't cast the first person I see. I have to see other people. So I did. I saw hundreds of other people, and then I cast Mark. So First instinct but, yeah. was right. Could we talk a little bit about Westworld? Sure. Since it's since it's the remake is is out there and it's been and it's been in the news. Yeah. I, I mean, and I've I've read interviews with you and you said this is the only way that I, a guy like me is going to wind up in a western. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I just read um, Sherry Crichton, Michael's wife, just sent me Michael's new book, which he started to write right after Westworld, um, Dragon Teeth, which is fabulous. And I, I just read it and it was like spending time with Michael again, who he, you know, there are a few people who are the smartest people you've ever met. So it was Michael, Mike Nichols, mm -hmm. and a few other people. And when you're in the room with them, you think you're smart too, because you got to stay up with them. And all of a sudden, you're real smart. As soon as they leave the room, you're not as smart as you were. <laughs> That's uh, interesting. <laughs> you know? Uh, and... Michael, um, I got that script. <laughs> I got that. Sue Mangers was our agent. And Paul and I were in New York. And uh, Sue called and she said, honey, because it's the way she talked. <laughs> the uh, legendary they, they, Sue Mangers. Wow. Yes. Honey, um, there's this movie and I think you'll be great. And it's uh, uh, Michael Crichton. And it's, I don't know. It's something a Western, but I don't know. It's science something or other. I don't know, uh, but you should do it. And I said, well, let, send it to me uh, uh, to read it. And she said, oh, I'll send it to you. You can read it, but I already told them that you do it. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. But fortunately, it, it was that thing of a kid from the west side of New York who's going to be uh, riding horses, being chased by Yule Brenner, and, 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 and firing a six-gun. And Yule is another fabulous person. I mean, it's amazing, you know, just going through all of this. Um, he taught me how to shoot and not blink. Oh, as you fire he, the gun. Yes. Yeah. He said, "You, I don't care. He said, you look at big Western stars, because even though there are blanks in there, there's a there's a big sound and a big charge goes out of there. In fact, little wads of paper fly out of there. Um, so he said, I'm going to teach you big Western stars. You watch any of these movies and you'll see them blink when they fire these guns, which by the way, now is all I look for when I see any kind of Western, <laughs> but he took me out behind a, in the back lot of MGM with a, with a six gun. And uh, he would put, um, one, you know, cartridge in there and spin it. And you'd pull the trigger and you'd blink because you think it's going to go off. And then I do it again and you blink. And, but after a little while, it's not going off. And then when one goes off, you've actually trained yourself not to blink. And I don't blink in that movie, which is one of my favorite things and greatest attributes in working in movies that you will not see me blink. And the other thing he said, do not let them see you get on the horse. 
<laughs> Did you he lie said, about being able to ride a horse? Me? Yeah. No, I, I actually could ride. Oh, okay. Cause I but saw it is like that thing. Can you ride? Oh, right, yeah, right, sure. Right, yeah, right, yeah. I right, saw that yeah, interview yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I heard a, an interview with Edward G. Robinson, who was constantly firing guns in his movies, and they said he was scared of guns and he would blink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he said, don't let them sh- f- photograph you. Uh, big Western stars start to get on. They put their foot in the stirrup, and then you make them cut away, and then you settle into the saddle. But you do not because it's those horses are big, you know, so it's like you're scrambling up and climbing and stuff. Trying to, <laughs> trying to, don't, let the, don't let them show you doing that. Did, did I he wear a lot. Did he wear his costume from The Magnificent Seven? Did he have the same... Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was exact. It was the one, but it yeah. certainly was meant meant to be that. That is a truly yeah. wild motion picture. Yeah, I, I yeah. never forgot yeah. it. I never forgot anything yeah. about that movie. It really made yeah. an impression on me. Yeah, and you no, guys I are saw good. it. Oh, uh, thank you. I saw it not too long ago, and I actually, you know, was there was a, a festival, a screening, and I, and we were Paula and I were out. I said, no, I don't want to see it. I'll, I'll wait till after because there could be Q and A. And she said, no, you these people know every line in these movies, you know, and you'll get asked something and you won't know what they're talking about. So I went in to see it and uh, it holds up very well. Very well. It's menacing. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, there's a real menacing. sense of it's terror. It's scary. It is scary. Yeah. And, and we, of course, have to have a Buster Keaton story. Well, the Buster Keaton story for me is a sad story because I was so young that I didn't know the whole thing. Do you know? I didn't know. We were, Paula made this, her first movie was Where the Boys Are, and George Wells wrote the script, and he had a boat uh, out in the marina, and he asked Paula and uh, if he, she'd like to come out to the boat, and she said yes, and I'd like to bring my, well, were we married? I don't think we were married. And my boyfriend was, oh yeah, sure, and Buster Keaton was on the boat. We were chatting with him, and I half knew if I only knew then what I know now, you know, that this genius, uh, that's who I was talking to. But uh, there have been a lot of things like that. If I had only known everything, we were, met Ginger Rogers when we were real young. And then later I see all of this stuff, you know, and uh, with the stare and everything. And it's like you don't know. You're too young and you're all involved with yourself and everything. And but uh, boy, I would have loved to ask them uh, so many things. Well, I did meet Stan Laurel. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. Did meet Stan Laurel. Uh, I th- think I have this story right that Jerry Lewis put he and his wife, Laurel and his wife, up in an apartment on. Uh, oh, the Ocean. one in Santa Monica. That's right. Yeah, that's right. God, you're. You are vast knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a lot really? of time reading about this stuff, Richard. Uh, uh, and um, we also had Chuck I, McCann on the show, who who knew, oh, who knew yeah, Stan so probably, well and who would go to that apartment. Oh, so yeah, and I think it was Jerry Lewis who saw them to that. Um, and it's interesting because my uncle Joe Browning, that we talked about a while ago, in the Beacon Hotel over the Beacon Theater, that's where he and my aunt Frances lived, and in the middle of that. Small, they had a one-bedroom, you know, kind of suite, was a trunk. Um, And it had JB with the letters intertwined, and it was like, have trunk, will travel. 
those people were ready to go. You know, they were just waiting for the phone call. And and when my friend Jerry Ziesmer was doing a treatise, I think at UCLA, on Laurel and Hardy, and he said, I'm going out to interview Stan Laurel. Do you want to come? I said, oh, yeah. Uh, so we went out, and there's a buzzer down, you know, how you buzz in. And he hit the buzzer, and then you heard, hello, you know, <laughs> Mm-hmm. come right up, you know, and I said, my God, it's Stan Laurel. <laughs> and in the middle of that little apartment was that same kind of trunk with SL, you know, intertwined. I mean, it was like, he's ready to go. He's ready to go out there. Um, That's great. Yeah. They said he was like an easy person to get. He was in the phone book. Oh, really? Stan Laurel. Yeah, yeah, I think that's how Chuck McCann got, got to him. Yeah, I think he yeah. picked up the phone when he was a kid and called him Yeah, when he was a young man. And then yeah, he I, seemed oh. – go ahead, sorry. No, I was, I was also – I heard Jerry Lewis wanted Stan Laurel to be his advisor when uh-huh. he made movies. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. I just want to ask, too, uh, about the Sunshine Boys and just to, mm-hmm. just to bring it back a little bit to your, to your uncle – First of all, mm-hmm. I did a little research on your on your uncle on Joe Browning. Did he have a partner named Al Levan? Did he you did he work with another guy? I I I don't know that. I saw him at the palace when I was five years old mm-hmm. in New York. My parents came. I was in my little pajamas and robe and stuff, and they said, "Get dressed. We're going to see Uncle Joe." I don't know what the heck they were talking about, and um, they took me down. Behind the screen, there was, you know, a movie on before the show. Uh, I had no idea what any of this was. And you can see through the screen because it's porous. So I saw all these people looking up. I don't know what the movie was, but they're all looking up in this direction. They're all looking at me, you know, and but they can't see me. And then they get me around and take me to a, a seat. And he comes out with a minister's collar, his two front teeth blacked out, and a round hat. And he was uh, solo, so the, he had no partner then. I don't know right. if he ever well, did. Well, I'll send, I'll send you the research I found. It's interesting. Oh, I'd love to see it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Well, what was the act? What did he do? He... Did it's hard to uh, the, the the what I heard what George Burns told me and what I heard on the record that I remember I think he did something very similar he sang and he told jokes about marriage they <laughs> <Okay>. were <laughs> they were marriage jokes or something but I had no concept what this was because it's Uncle Joe but for some reason his teeth are blacked out or he doesn't have any as far as I knew he he, he didn't have teeth at that time and he's talking. And these people are laughing. And what? What is this? What's? What's? Are these his friends or what? Um, but yeah, you're yeah. like Groucho. You had an uncle in vaudeville. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And a hard scrabble life. I mean, we had. Uh, I don't know if you've read Cliff Nesteroff's book, The Comedians, which is a a, a great read. About uh, we recommend it to you. But there's a uh-huh. there, there's a whole section in the book about vaudeville, about vaudevillians and what they went through. The Marx, oh, yeah. the Marx Brothers, I mean, not an easy life at all. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, traveling all over and 
eight shows a uh, well, four shows a day or something like that. You know, and unscrupulous yeah. managers and people yeah. stealing their money and, yeah. and no yeah. u- no no theatrical unions to protect them. Yeah, yeah. Like they yeah. said, they had like rat infested dressing rooms. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, and I think he was on the Sullivan Show. Um, my uncle, um, oh. I think, but here are these people playing the Keith circuit or wherever doing the same act for 20 years, 30 sure. years and everything. One shot on the Sullivan show and that's it. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. You, what else you got, you know? So, so yeah. when the sunshine boys was presented to you, you, you had a soft spot for, for, uh, Oh yeah. For this, oh, this, this oh, kind yeah. of story. Is it, is yeah. it Smith and Dale? Yes, that the boys yeah. are supposedly based on because I yeah. you hear different things. I know Gallagher and Sheen didn't like each other either. No, no, it's Smith and Dale uh-huh. and Joe Smith. I came to one of our sets in New Jersey. He was staying at a home up there in wow. New Jersey near Englewood or something. He and he came there one day. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, Smith and Dale because that whole sketch is so much like the Cronkite sketch and stuff. Uh, yeah. That must have been a fun movie to make just to be, I know you said Mathhouse spent a lot of time in his trailer, but just being Wait, with when, when George and I went to lunch, he, he stayed, he never went out yeah. uh, and he played uh, classical music there and he stayed there uh, during lunch. Um, yeah. But just to be with those two guys. Oh man, it was the best. It was the really the best. Yeah. You put down the variety and listen to me. I left three clients sitting in my office so I could come over here. That makes four of us on awake. How's the children? Oh, since when are you interested in my children? You haven't seen them in a year. You don't even remember their names. Millie and Sydney. Amanda and Michael. What's the matter? You didn't like Millie and Sydney? You forgot, so you made something up. You forget everything, like buying fresh food. Listen, ABC. Do they know who I am? What a great star I was. Who? Amanda and and, and, uh, Sipke. Amanda and Michael. They're three years old, Uncle Willie. They don't remember vaudeville. Abe. Why is it I only get aggravated when I come over here to see you? You want to meet you someplace else? Is that supposed to be funny? I don't think that's funny, Uncle Willie. If you had a sense of humor, you'd think it was funny. I have a terrific sense of humor. Like your father, he laughed once in 1932. We're winding down, Richard, but we got to ask you a little bit about Catch-22. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and, and, and you're talking about meeting larger-than-life figures. What about Orson Welles? Well, <laughs> uh, so Wells, here's a story. So we were told not to talk to him. No one is to talk to him. And don't look right at him. Don't, don't catch his eye and don't look at him. Really? Yeah. Uh, You're all okay. young actors at this point. I mean, Where it's you and me Balaban and, and Arkin. Balaban and, and Arkin and John Voight. And, Martin uh, Sheen. Peter, Marty Sheen, yeah. Peter Bonner. We're all Charlotte babies. Groden. Yeah. Uh, what a Paula, cast. Yeah, everybody. So, yeah. Don't talk to him. So, <laughs> really? Okay. So, he never... He he had this gen, he played General Dreedle. He had this uniform made for him because he was of some size, and uh, he never. He, we only saw him in that uniform. We never saw him any other way. So 
They bring him to the set. Well, the set was in the middle of the desert near a runway that they built um, in Wymas. And they put him in a chair and put an umbrella over him. And we're about 20 or 30 feet away. And we're sitting under umbrellas. And there he is, you know. But we're not allowed to talk to him. Okay. After that lunch of that day, the assistant director comes over to us and says, Mr. Wells is is very upset. Said, Why? We said, well, nobody will talk to him. And they said, what are you talking about? <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were told never to talk to him, not even look at him. Who told you that? I don't know, some assistant or somebody. And everybody said, yeah, we were all told that. Well, it's we don't know where that came from. So right away, we all picked up our chairs and motored over right and surrounded him. Uh, and then it just took off. I mean, these stories were unbelievable and amazing kinds of stories. And then he told a story, a long story, um, about uh, Leland Hayward, the producer, and a, an amazing, convoluted, complex which story which probably had some sexual parts of it or something, <laughs> and it was funny. Uh, and outrageous, and he finished the story. What he didn't know is about a foot and a half away was Brooke Hayward, Leland Hayward's daughter, oh God, who was going with Buck Henry at the time, was there. <laughs> and she said, "Oh, Mr. Wells, I'm uh, Brooke Hayward, Leland Hayward's daughter, and I think that story, uh, is not true at all. And he said, you know, you may be right. That <laughs> <laughs> was it. <laughs> I heard he was acting out a little bit, that he was giving other actors line readings and, and, and things like that. Uh, he was doing on he the was set. Do, he was doing things, and, and uh, Mike was very respectful and all of that. Uh, Mike said before he came, he said, now, I may be a little different for a few days while he's here. But then I'll be back to who I really am. Oh, that's once wow. he's w- once he's gone. But he would do things like um, and and and. But Mike was respectful and humored him, and he would say things like, uh, "Well, uh, if if that if that's the lens you're going to use, and I'm in the foreground like this, and you're over, here, won't I be out of focus?" And no, no, no. It'll, so there was a little of that going going on. Um, but Peter Bogdanovich was there interviewing him for a book or something, and we used to see them. All. These are all, you know, in Catch-22, there are these crazy kind of visions. Uh-huh. Well, it became, the, 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 the being there was like these crazy visions. So off in the distance, we'd see Peter Bogdanovich uh, uh, under a parasol, <laughs> way in the distance, uh, interviewing a man in a general's uniform. And then he was gone. So then his part finished. And then they found out they needed they needed to make a shot. You wouldn't see his face or anything, but they needed to make a shot. So Mike said, uh, go get the uniform and get me a double because I got to just do this. You won't see him. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and the costume coordinator said, well, um, we don't have the uniform. And there was no double. He said, what do you mean you don't have the uniform? He said, 
Mr. Wells left with the uniform. <laughs> bizarre. How bizarre. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, but first a word from our sponsor. You were also, and this was, I think it's funny, it's around the time of The Graduate that these type movies were coming out. You were in Goodbye Columbus. Oh, a favorite. Yeah. A favorite. Oh, thanks. Yeah. No, movies were changing, you know. Movies, uh, they were getting to be about real people in real situations, and they had, you know, uh, something to say uh, about society and stuff. Yeah. That was fortunate for me because, you know, before that, movies had, you know, Cary Grant and Clark Gable and, you know, people like that. Well, the, the right person at the right time. Yeah, that's yeah. so for, so much lucky. timing in the business. Yeah, what can you tell us about either Klugman, uh, we we love we, or or Jack Guilford? Oh yeah, either Jack, uh, uh, both of them. Again, you know, Jack Guilford lived in our, he lived on the Upper West Side. He lived near us. Um, uh, also, great. Uh, what was that? Was it a popcorn commercial? What was that? Oh, oh the Cracker Jack. Crack, yes, crack, yes, yes. Everybody so, remembers him. For that. Yeah, so so great. Uh, and yeah, he and his, uh, wife were down there on, in Wymus and, um, and Klugman. Yeah. You know, again, so you see 12 angry men filled with these fabulous people, Klugman and, uh, Jack Warden and, you know, these great people. And then you're just, you're doing scenes with these people. So it is, it's, it's a dream. All of it's kind of a dream. Um, but a delightful person, and again, all professional, hardworking, but easy. Uh, all good people, and um, and I knew when I saw Allie for the first time, I said, "This is a this this girl's Allie McGraw." Allie McGraw, you yeah. can just tell, just because I believe that it's who you are. I think, I mean, I've tried to cast for who the person is. What's What's inside? What's their soul? I think that's what the camera reads. I think it sees who who anybody is. It's like a laser. It goes right through them. And with her, um, she's such a genuine soul, Allie, that uh, it just comes through, I think. What did, what did you mean? I found a quote, Richard, if I can ask you. you make, make You believe in making films for the right reasons. Well, yeah, I mean... Phil Gersh was our was our agent, and Phil used to, was Bogart's agent for one. And he always said, "Just try and do good things, and see you know let and see what happens after that." You know, it's tough because sometimes you've got to you know pay the rent, and you 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 you. Uh, it's hard to hold on to that in this business of doing something because you believe in it. But I have found that if I've done something for the wrong reason, it comes back to bite you. It, it, and it's harder mm -hmm. when it, it, you need to have the wind at your back. You need to sail along and being pushed by what you're committed to and what you believe, especially if you're directing, uh, because that's all there is. Um, and if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you know it. And every decision, every camera angle, everything about it is 
false because it's not for the right reason. Uh, and sometimes, I mean, sometimes you're wrong and you turn something down that, you know, turns out, but it's probably something you couldn't have done because you don't, you don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's too hard. I mean, making movies is hard and, and every thing conspires against you in every single uh, way. Uh, and, uh, and you've got to, you know, cut through all of that and keep these blinders on because you think you know what this vision is and nothing can dissuade you from it. But if you're doing it for the wrong reason or for the, for the money or whatever, you know, you, you're open then. You're open to, you know, wherever it could go because you don't believe in it. Um, so that's what I think I mean by that. Mm-hmm. And do you have a preference between acting and directing? What are you doing more of now, by the way? Well, I would like, I'm not doing enough right now to tell you the truth. Um, I, uh, I mean, I've acted more recently, but, uh, I would like, I have a movie that I keep trying to get made, but you know, we all know that story. Uh, uh, I like, I, I love directing. I always did from the very beginning. It's what I did at school and stuff. But how do you get to do it? Right. Uh, you know, it's I can I can I can walk in and meet Larry Pierce and Stanley Jaffe, uh, the director and producer of Goodbye Columbus, and somehow convince them that they gotta cast me in this movie. So, or I can go read for a play and get the job, or don't get the job. And what what are what have I got? I've got you know just pair of shoes walking in there and the script in my hand, but directing, who's going to let you do that? Uh, you know, who's going to give you 15 or $20 million uh, to make a movie and with a cast and crew of a hundred people, you know, so how to get to do that um, is really, really hard, but uh, it, it is what I always wanted, wanted to do. And I did it at school and, uh, but when I came out of school, I, you know, I, I started to get work as an actor. I mean, it took a while, but I, I, I did. And our agent, Phil Gersh, who was basically a director's agent, asked me, so what do you, I know you want to do that. What are you doing about that? So he helped me get started in that. He and his son, uh, David. And yeah, he handled Robert Wise and people like that, didn't yes, he? Yes, yeah. he did. Yeah, I also find it sure. interesting that you not only went to, to directors for advice, but that you, you, you said that you learned something from a lot of these directors. You learned a little bit from Pierce and a little bit from Herbert Ross and a little yes, bit from Mike Nichols. And you and from Cl- Yeah, and Clint. And, and Clint, Clint Eastwood. Eastwood. Yeah, tell, yeah, well, tell yeah. us that. For, well, that's pretty great. I mean, Clint, uh, I directed he and... Um, uh, Burt Reynolds, Burt Reynolds in uh, City Heat, and Clint's. First of all, Clint, uh, uh, Clint on the set is the crew loves him because the minute you say cut or something, he's picking up cable and stuff, and he's moving stuff, and you know he's right, he's right in there, and he. What I learned there is, don't sweat it, don't don't sweat the, don't try to get for perfection. Uh, at the expense of the good. Um, don't stay in in the same setup. Um, you, you know what happens? You get into a setup and you get comfortable in it and everything is set that way and you make the actors do it over and over again and you get little nuances, you get little differences and stuff like that. But mostly, 
I mean, I've even shot rehearsals, and the best stuff usually is right there at the at the beginning. But sometimes you have to do more. But he said, "It's you're you're gonna you're gonna thank yourself later instead of staying there and doing all these takes in the same angle if you change it and get different angles." Because in cutting, that's where you're going to need the help. Uh, and instead of finding, so well, that takes a little bit better than that take. And also to move fast. He makes movies fast. And the crew loves it. The actors love it because of the energy sure. of it. You don't get bogged down. And so I learned a lot from him. Uh, we, and I, <laughs> we, we, uh, there was a, I did one scene and there was a huge scratch giant scratch on the negative. Uh, I mean, now, uh, you know, you could get rid of it. But, um, and I said, we have to reshoot that. And he said, why? I said, well, look at that. I mean, we can't have that. He said, you know, uh, this gets run through a projector two or three times. What do you think this is going to look like? You know, you're going to have more scratches and stuff like that. He doesn't sweat any of that stuff. And he considers it all kind of a an impressionistic Thing. It's like a mosaic, you know, and it, it comes together in a, in, a, in a way that surprises you instead of sweating all this stuff and, and trying to get perfection out of it. So I, I learned a lot from him. And I heard uh, Burt Reynolds was injured in yeah, the oil. He was. He fell off. Uh, he, 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 he fell in his trailer or something and hurt his jaw. Uh, and that... Uh, you know, we were really sailing along there pretty good. The, the the first scene in that movie, it hadn't happened yet. And there's this fight scene and it was a lot of fun and stuff and everything. But afterwards, it affected him. I mean, he got hurt. Uh, I mean, he, he got, he worked through it. But, uh, you know, he had that, I forget what you call it, but it is a jaw thing that affects oh, uh, you. TMJ? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I um, had heard a story that they hit him with a chair that was supposed to be a collapsible chair, and it was they hit him with no. an actual chair. No, I love the I love these stories. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that wasn't Richard's movie that that is. <laughs> maybe it wasn't something else. But yeah, no, it was in, it was in his trailer. He slipped or something in his trailer. Uh, uh, no, nobody hit him with a chair that I know of. Yeah, because I mean, for years. After that movie, people were saying, oh, uh, Burt Reynolds is dying. He's got some mystery <laughs> illness. And no. A fun movie, City Heat. You know, it's fun to watch those two guys, those two big action yeah. stars yeah. Yeah, yeah. on the screen yeah. together. Yeah. And they, uh, yeah. And they had known each other a long time and, and stuff. So, yeah, that was another one, you know, of saying, look at this. Look what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> How'd this happen? I want to recommend uh, to our, uh, on the subject of your, the movies you've directed too, we've got about a million people a month listening to this show now, Richard, which oh, is a great. pleasant oh, surprise to us because we, we started nice. it as a labor of love at Gilbert's Kitchen Table. Oh, well, that's great. Three years ago. And now yeah. we're talking to Carl Reiner and we oh, just talked fabulous. to Norman Lear and you. And, oh, and that's great. We had one guest whose name we won't mention, mm -hmm. but he was already a little too old to be doing it. Oh, we, we don't talk about that one because we didn't uh, use it. And I remember after we interviewed him, uh, Frank and I were sitting in a pizza place together, and I said, 
All right, we tried to do a podcast, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we wanted to tell the history of show business, things that, yeah. meant, things that meant a lot to us, to talk about yeah. people like Elsa Lanchester and to yeah, keep, keep, yeah. The, keep the memory of these people alive. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, and we've really done 170 lovely. something of them now. Is that it's, right? It's a, yeah, yeah, we've had Roger Corman here. We had Bruce Dern here. Uh, oh, yeah. We who, made a picture with uh, Julie Corman. Oh, Saturday well, uh, the 14th. Saturday the 14th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you got some stories about that one. Uh, I'll bet. We, we'll, we'll wrap it up, cause, but I, I t- my, our fans are going to get on our case if we don't ask you one thing about Quark. Oh, Quark, yes. With the I great Buck Quark. Henry. Yeah, great Buck Henry is right. Quark, um, you know, there are a few people... Uh, it doesn't matter about the money or anything, but if they're doing something and it's like Mike Nichols, Elaine May, Woody Allen, Buck Henry, Neil Simon, there's a group. You got to get in there. Uh, Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, you got to say, uh, anything for me in this area? You know? <laughs> um, and Buck is that, that Buck is that. Uh, so I heard about that and I called and they said, well, whatever they wherever they thought, you know, I was in the firmament of things. He said, we don't think we can afford you. I said, let's not concern ourselves about that. Uh, you know, I, I read the thing and I thought it was hilarious. Um, so uh, we actually, uh, you know, made that, that pilot and they picked it up. But we got fan mail from physicists. Mm-hmm. Uh, from actual physicists, well, that thing about the black hole, you know, that's pretty close to what it should be, oh, even though we were collecting garbage in space. Well, I'm going to yeah. just, just tell our listeners, if who aren't familiar with it, it was a sci-fi a, a spoof about a garbage scow. Yeah, yeah, he was a garbage collector But, but, in but space. you spoofed very intelligent sci-fi stuff. Yeah, like, but that's like, like Kubrick. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's and, what you were after. And they said, people said, what is this? You know, should this be on Saturday morning or what is it? And, of course, there were only eight of them. And by that time, it was too late and NBC took it off. But, I mean, you've got a place, a a, a, a characters, one character, uh, Conrad Janis, is Otto Palindrome. Yeah, he was fun. Well, Otto, O-T-O, is a palindrome. Otto Bob Palindrome. <laughs> His middle name was a palindrome oh, too. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> and then he had another character, the head, who was only a head, right? Uh, and the two girls. Oh, Tim Thomerson as uh, well. And was Tim G- Thomas, Jean Jean, J E A N, and G E N. Yeah, really funny. Uh, who would all of a sudden become a complete you know, woman for a second and worry about his nails when we're supposed to be attacking aliens or something. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and the two girls, uh, the Barnstable girls, right. one, one of them's real. The other one's a clone. And my <laughs> character, a Quark is in love with one of them, but he doesn't know which one it is. And it's, I mean, it's the kind of stuff that you just love. You it, it's a shame that you sometimes the guests come on and they talk about these shows um, and Norman too. We were talking with, with Norman Lear about uh, Hot El Baltimore and some mm. of his other things. It's a different era. You talk about timing. There were only three networks. You had three shots at getting That's something it. like Quark, yeah. Yeah. Get, getting a life for it. Today, a show yeah. that intelligent and that offbeat. Yeah. You've got Amazon. You've got Netflix. It might have a life today. That's right. Yeah. 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 How's Buck doing? You talk to him? Yes. Yeah, so we see him all the time. He's doing very well. We want to get yeah. him on here. 
Oh, that'd be great. Put a word he in should. for us, would yeah. you? Oh, I will. I will. Yeah. Um, he's he's just uh, great. We saw him the other night. Yeah. When I send you the uh, the uh, links about your uncle, I'm also I found an article in the New York Times. Uh, a friend of mine, Frank DeCaro, wrote a, a, a pa- impassioned uh, uh, article, an essay about uh, Quark. <laughs> about oh, how really? wonder- wonderful Quark was. Yes, it's in the Times. Well, you know, there was a thing. Uh, maybe uh, who who did the DVD thing? Was it David Kerr? I can't remember. Uh, anyway, uh, about three years ago, two, two, three years ago, he said this is what DVDs were made for. And he was talking about uh, Quark. Yeah, shows like uh, that. Yeah. Or, or Mel's show when things were rotten. Yeah, yeah. You know, shows yeah. with re- short live shows with great casts yeah. Yeah. That, didn't, uh, that didn't get the life they deserved. Yeah, yeah. And that other show that was uh, Jerry Zucker's show, remember? Oh, uh, Police Squad. Oh, yeah. oh God! Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna get we're gonna get try to get Jerry or David on here to talk about that. Uh, yeah, that that'd be good. Really good, really good stuff. Yeah. So, Gil, anything else you want to ask this man uh, before well, we let this, him get on this, with his life? This, this is really important for me. What's that? And it's the only reason I agreed to do this interview. What is that? <laughs> Goodbye, Columbus. Uh, the theme song was sung by the Association. <laughs> right. You That's remember right. that, Richard? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh oh! Hello, life. Hello, life. Goodbye, Columbus. Oh uh, yes, yes. Right? Got to say hello. It's a lucky day. <laughs> Kiss the moon goodbye, and we're on our way. It's a lucky day because I found you. Gonna build a new world around you. Touch the sun and run. It's a lucky day. Hello, life. <laughs> Goodbye, Columbus. I got a feeling that you're going to hear from us. You're going to know that we're taking the world by surprise. Got that look in your eyes. It's a lucky day. Just for change and leaving the world behind. Right, now you're torturing the man. <laughs> lucky day walking a new road to clear your mind. It's a, it's a day for starting a new way. Tell one goodbye. It's a lucky day. Oh, hello world. Goodbye, Columbus. Has anyone so ever sung that to you in your career? Beg pardon. Has anyone ever sung that to you in your career? In all the interviews you've done? Uh, you know, let me think. I think it's the first time. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to remember, but I believe it is the first time. Uh, I wonder if it'll be the last. It might time. be. Yeah, there was a, there was an episode of Quark called "Goodbye, Columbus." Oh yes, which I found in my research and, uh, and uh, uh, Richard Benjamin homage. Yeah, uh, Richard, there's so much we could do here. This, oh, it's been. I really enjoy so it, Frank and, and Gilbert. I just think you're hysterical. By the way, I thought I should let you know that. Oh, thank you. Now, you're why really... didn't? Oh, go ahead. Huh? Why didn't I cast you? <laughs> you know, I'm going to be thinking about this for a long time. You're going to give the guy the guilt. Oh, yeah. No, but what yeah. else were you going to say? You're going to say, Gilbert, you're fantastic, uh, and I uh, interrupt and you. things like that. I really have always thought you're just great. Really, really funny. Oh, thank you. That's nice. Really See, the show has turned into an admiration society. Yes, yes. Norman was saying Norman Lear was saying that to him the other night, and he was sky yeah. high, Richard. Yeah. Well, it's true. It's really true. And your thing of the uh, 
Aristoc- the Aristocrats. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Brilliant. Completely brilliant. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's- and I had a nice talk with your wife, and she seems very lovely. She is. Yeah. She's the reason well, this whole thing came yeah. to be. Yeah. Of yeah. course, you don't have to live with her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's going to be very happy with that remark. <laughs> Richard, I've, done, I've done some things on television talking about Paula, and later people said, I don't think you can go home tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys were great just to bring up Paula here, too. Uh, you guys and she, he and she, another show, if I may say, that I think would have a life today. Yeah, well, you know, it. we followed Green Acres... The first was Beverly Hillbillies sure. and Green Acres. And as we would, our show would come on, and at the end of Green Acres, there was a little pig named Arnold who danced. Oh, yes, Arnold Ziffel. And, yeah. <laughs> and I said, I said to Paula, you know, I think these two shows that are so highly rated, I don't know if all those people who love this dancing pig are going to be coming over to us. And, you know, our ratings just were not up to those 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 two shows, uh, but it that that that, that um, city cosmopolitan thing quite you know hadn't hap- quite happened yet. We we were sort yeah. of at the start you, of that. You, yeah, you, you were you were a little early, like he like Gilbert yeah. was saying with Goodbye Columbus, kind of be, owing something to the graduate. Yeah, I mean true true of uh, of of uh, of that show too. Yeah, a little yeah. Like, because of married to the she was a working woman. That's uh, right. Paula's character. Yeah. I don't yeah. Think we had and too many... we, we, we slept in the same bed. That too. Was, yeah. You, if you look at the Dick Van Dyke show, they're not in the same bed. Correct. You know, I'm yeah. not positive, but I think the first couple to sleep in the same bed. On television. Were, were the monsters. That may be so. Because I think they probably thought, well, they're two monsters. We, <laughs> we can't envision them having sex. <laughs> and Chris Hayward, to, who created the monsters, was one of the writers on He and She. Wow. Oh, yes. There's a little symmetry yes, for you. Yes, yes. Uh, but we were before the monsters. Oh, right? you were? Oh. Well, what was, it? What yeah. was he? What and, was... We, and we weren't, we were real people. Well, the we monsters, weren't. I think, was 60, 60. Four sixty-five. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Then that then 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 it was first. Then I could, it was before. I us. could be totally wrong. No, you may be right because I think it was in black and white, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So what? Yeah, and our show was color. Yeah. Jack Cassidy and Kenneth Jack, Mars. Jack. Two other. And Hamilton Camp. And and the great and the late yeah, Hamilton yeah, Camp. Yeah. 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 Two great. We had a great time. Yeah. Great time. So much to cover. So much to cover. It's been a run. This is, uh, yeah. This is so nice. It's like. You said before about this is your life. This, <laughs> uh, yeah. Without bringing in the school teachers and, yes. the, uh, and the awkward. <laughs> yes. And the great show of shows when Sid Caesar did that, This Is Your Life. Oh, and he tried yes. To oh, with Howard Morris. How, how Uncle Goopy. Yeah, we just talked to, to, we talked to, uh, to Carl about that. And he said it, oh, just, yeah. it wasn't supposed to go on. It wasn't supposed to go on like nine, nine and a half minutes. It or was supposed to be a short minutes. bit. Yeah. And and Sid Caesar started doing this fight, fighting people. Yeah. Well, first he made them chase over. him through the yes. through the house. Yeah. So brilliant, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Anything coming up, Richard? That you want to that you want to plug or you want to throw out there? Uh, no, I don't know. I, I 
I would like something to come up, but I'm, I can't say exactly. Please give our best to your wife, who we're fans, oh, I will. We're fans of. And the last I will. thing I'll say is look for a Simpsons episode called Itchy and Scratchy Land, if you don't oh. know it. Because okay. it's a very funny, sophisticated parody of War- of Westworld, of the original is, Westworld. Is that right? Yeah. Has it been on yet? It's been on many times, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. It, it, yeah, yeah, it aired uh, years ago, but it's it's, it's oh. a, a classic episode, and it's very specifically an homage to the original Westworld. Oh. And is there a way to find it? I'll send it to you. Oh, would you? Sure. Oh, that, and I'm going to send you some stuff about your uncle. Oh, great. Thank you. I appreciate it. This was yeah. a this was a, a lot of fun for us. Uh, oh, and for me. And as our engineer told us before we were on the air, yeah. he said uh, he wants to put together a, a montage of all the times that Frank and I have said to a guest, "Well, we barely scratched the surface." <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> I mean, we didn't get to Frank Perry. We I, I wanted to ask you about oh, yeah. Herbert Ross, but another oh, time. Yeah. Another time. Yeah, that would be great. This was a treat. Thank you so much, Richard. And for me, too. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And we've been talking to a man who wouldn't hire me. (laughs) (laughs) But he seems to have no memory of it. (laughs) (laughs) But my stepmother was an alien. (laughs) But, But the great Richard Benjamin. Thank you, Richard. Thank you both. Thank, Thank you so much. You. Thank you. I really appreciate it.